Chapter One of Countdown. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Countdown by Kurt Becker, S.J. Chapter One Twenty Five. The morning after the big rain, Ned Bartley found the hole under the fence, crawled through it, and visited the spaceship. The fence was not old. He remembered quite clearly the day when he first saw it ten months before. It was a hot, threatening day in late July, brooding and strange, not like other days. The sky was an odd, coppery blue, not soft, but somehow metallic and harsh. There were queer, sulfurous clouds which hung broodingly over the world, heavy and menacing. "'It looks,' Walter Drew said, as they started to drive back to Hillstown from Amarillo that day, like it's fixin' the rain-green ink.' Walter was a classmate of Ned's, a stocky, friendly boy, whose right leg was in a brace, due to a bout with polio a couple of years previously. Ned said nothing. He felt tense and uneasy, with an unfamiliar sense of impending disaster. Mike Pukin, at the wheel of the car, had his face set in the controlled, expressionless look he wore whenever he was worried about something. Mike was in his late twenties. He was a math teacher and athletic director of Hillstown High, where Ned and Walt were students. The three had spent the day in Amarillo, and had started the return drive at about four, because Ned had faithfully promised to be home before dark, so his Aunt Deborah wouldn't worry. They were driving along Route 87, which carried them over the Canadian River, and north toward Domas, where they would turn west toward Mustang Creek, and home. It wasn't a long drive, as drives go in Texas about fifty miles, and the car, which belonged to Mike, was purring smoothly along. They should be home a little after five. It was a good road, smooth and level. At Dumas it turned toward the setting sun, and stretched straight and level for eighteen miles between the flat, cultivated fields that reached the horizon on both sides. Then it curved slowly and climbed gently north in a big, rising sweep, miles long, that brought it to the rolling hills which gave their name to the town they surrounded. It wriggled uncomfortably for a short distance, skirted Hillstown, flirted a few miles with the Mustang, swerved toward Dalhurt, nodded in the direction of Davis, and headed straight for Colorado. They were on the straightway west of Dumas, tolling along when tires screeched. The car swerved and slowed, coming to a stop on the shorter of the road. Look at that! Mike's voice was awed. The three of them piled out to get a better look at the astonishing sight. The machines were enormous bigger than any of the gigantic red combines they were accustomed to see rolling over the cultivated lands, reaping the rich harvest of the vast Texas fields. These were monsters, a procession of them, coming toward them at a majestic, unhurried pace across the flat farmland, where the maize plants lifted their heavy heads from the dry ground. Ned looked around. As far as he could see, in all directions, there was not another moving thing. The world was suddenly a great empty desert, except for the three of them standing on the road beside their car, and the procession of monstrous machines heading toward them across the field, under the sulphurous light of the strange and menacing skies. They watched, fascinated. The great machines moved not on wheels, but on huge, balloon-like rollers, that looked like monstrous sausages. Rolligans, Ned heard Mike's odd whisper. I never thought I'd see one. What do you know? Rolligans. Ned remembered reading about them in a magazine, huge airbags that rolled smoothly over everything in their way, and so needed no roads. He had never thought to see one either. 
and now here they were, a whole train of them, enormous, bright green, with the letters B-E-S-T, painted in dazzling white on their tall sides. The first machine sent great steel teeth into the earth, and chewed out a deep, narrow trench, piling the dirt neatly on either side. The second machine straddled the ditch, and unrolled into it a wide heavy ribbon of metal, which gleamed in the strange light, and reminded Ned incongruously of toothpaste flowing smoothly out of a tube. The third machine followed closely, setting into the metal ribbon poles fifteen feet high, which divided at the top to form a Y, filling the strange furrow and tamping it down, so that there remained only the erect metal Ys, rising rigidly at perfect regular intervals from the smooth earth. A fourth machine, taller than a house, followed along. From it there emerged a closely woven metal mesh, which somehow clamped onto the poles as it unrolled. At the rear, on either side of the newly risen fence, came two spidery platforms, on each of which two brawny young men, stripped to their waist, their backs and arms gleaming with perspiration in the strange light, spun a web of barbed wire along the two arms of the Y. In back of these rolled vast trailer platforms, piled high with supplies, rolls of barbed wire, rolls of mesh and metal ribbons, mountains of metal poles. At a steady, unhurried pace, the machines came toward the road from the northeast, leaving in their wake a wire wall crowned with metal thorns, which stretched out in a perfectly straight line across the field and disappeared over the horizon. Twenty yards or so from the edge of the road, the first monster came to a halt, and the diesel that powered it died in a cloud of gray smoke. The others stopped behind it. A man climbed down from the cab. He was a youthful, blond giant, bare-chested, his skin burned to a rich brown, his eyebrows bleached almost white against his tan. His hair closely cropped mass of small, tight, straw-colored curls. He looked at the three figures on the road for a moment without curiosity, without interest, and then moved in long athletic strides toward the spidery platform, where the barbed wire topping was spun. The young men leaned down, and he shouted something at them. One of them nodded and waved his hand toward the northwest. Ned looked in that direction, and noticed for the first time a line of small red banners extending across the field. "'The gate goes here,' Ned heard the blond giant shout. Then the young man was back in his cabin. The world shook to the roar of his reviving diesel, and the great machine lumbered ahead, turning with astonishing ease, and heading away from the road at an angle along the line of waving red banners. The three watchers stood there in awed silence, as the other machines followed. As the last machine passed them, one of the tall men on it waved at them, and his brown face split for an instant into a dazzling white grin. "'Beats digging post-holes!' His shout rose above the roar of the engines. With that same deliberate, majestic speed, the train of enormous vehicles on their great, swollen-looking rollers moved away, leaving the wire wall to mark their progress. It was only after the last one had passed that Ned realized that the long, straight line of waving red banners pointed like an arrow to Hillstown, which he would reach at the end of the slow, long curve of the road. Golly! Walter's voice was awed. What do you suppose that is? Fence. When excited, Mike Pewickin always spoke in short, clipped sentences. And we better be getting out of here. There's a big green truck heading this way along the road, but they're bringing the gate that big guy was talking about. They climbed back into the car. Walter sat in back, because he was wearing his brace and needed room to keep his legs stretched out. He leaned forward and tapped Ned on the shoulder. "'Hey, Brain,' he said. "'Ever see anything like that in New York?' 
Never saw anything that big, even in Texas. Ned grinned. Then he added, suddenly serious, What do you suppose best is? Don't know, Mike replied, and there was a touch of grimness in his voice. But whatever it is, it's big, and it's headed straight for Hillstown. Something tells me we'll hear more about it. Mike drove along in silence for a while. Then in a soft, barely audible voice he said, Bet there's trouble, big trouble. He sounded, Ned thought, with a thrill foreboding, like a prophet. End of chapter 1